I'm talking to Paul Hansen Clark, and we're gonna discuss this sort of ongoing plagiarism in the poetry community argument or discussion that's been going on as far as I've seen mostly online for the past few months. Uh, hi, Paul. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, this is an unusual experience, but I'm doing very good. Yeah, yeah. We, I guess we already talked about how are you, nice to meet you, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I guess let's just dive right in. Um, do you want to briefly just sort of introduce this whole uh, fiasco for anyone who hasn't necessarily seen anything about it? Sure. Yeah, I can do that. Um, yeah, the basic thing is that in late November, I believe at the very end of November, uh, this sort of thing went viral. What happened is, is this uh, woman named Ailey O'Toole, who is a young poet uh, from Tucson, uh, a woman, I believe she's 21 years old. She she got nominated for a Pushcart Prize for uh, a poem that had lines that were basically like stolen and then sort of like changed a bit. Uh, I, I would liken it to like a, a someone cheating on homework kind of thing. Uh, and, and that poem got nominated for a Pushcart Prize and she contacted one of the authors who she kind of jacked lines from, this woman named Rachel McKibbins. And then McKibbins... Um, she like she tweeted out like basically like fuck alio tool uh she's a plagiarist uh she sucks and then that went like super viral and people were just like i don't know like real incredulous and kind of tripping out about someone taking lines from a poem and there was all these kind of like other cultural conversations that were happening on the side so then like a weekish later uh this woman named uh claudia uh, Cortez or Cortese. I don't know how to say her name, but, uh, Claudia, she, she did a post that was sort of similar to McKibben's, uh, calling out this woman named Lisa Lowe for, um, plagiarizing her book, Wasp Queen. And, uh, basically like my position is that, uh, the, the alio tool, she did do plagiarism and that Lisa Lowe didn't. The, the sort of backlash against Lisa Lowe wasn't as large as uh, the backlash against Ailey O'Toole, but it did seem kind of like similar in severity. And that was sort of like weird and disturbing to me. Yeah, so it seems like broadly everyone kind of agreed that Ailey O'Toole had um, plagiarized. Um, and then... I mean, my whole exposure to this was mostly just your Twitter and things that you're retweeting. Um, I don't follow a lot of other poetry people, so it's kind of interesting from my perspective um, to wonder how big of a conversation this even is. Um, do you have any sense of that? Like, how much of the poetry community is involved in this? How much people outside of that community are seeing it? Hmm, yeah, I... I'm of two minds. Like on the one hand, it, it did seem like a pretty large conversation within the poetry community, particularly the O'Toole conversation. Uh, Rachel McKibbins has a pretty uh, robust Twitter following, and a bunch of other Twitter poets with fairly robust followings were sort of uh, getting in on that. Um, yeah, so there was a big conversation that was happening, 
And, and then with the Lisa Lowe thing, like, I, I don't know, it was, it was a conversation. Uh, like the people in my, I work at the University of Nebraska and the people in my office who are interested in poetry were talking about it. Um, I was, it was brought to my attention by a friend of mine who's a poet who isn't like, uh, extremely online or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It seems like kind of a big conversation, but on the other hand, there's this piece of it that to me seems like it's sort of like, I call it like the info buffet. Like it's just this kind of buffet of uh, information to consume sort of comes up every day. And one day it's like Trump is doing nuclear war with North Korea or some shit. And then the next day it's like, uh, Kanye is like crazy or something. So like this was just like a kind of thing that came up for people within poetry to to have strong feelings about for like a few days. And, and then it seems like people kind of stopped caring very rapidly after it kind of blew up. So, so like that sort of says that the conversation, while it may have been large, is kind of meaningless or... I don't know, like sub, not very substantive or something. Yeah, I mean, certainly what you're saying uh, about the info buffet, I like that phrase. It seems like there's a fairly narrow range of emotions that we have in reaction to this stuff that we encounter in line, uh, mm -hmm. much narrower than the range of emotions we have in reaction to things we encounter, you know, out in 3D world. Um so it makes sense that the conversation would kind of die out because you you sort of get mad about it or indignant about it. Um, and then there's not a lot of uh, places to go after that, really. Um, and you've talked a little bit about on Twitter, even before the Lisa Lowe, Claudia Cortezi scandal sort of followed up on this, that sure, Elio Tool seems to be a plagiarist or she seems to be committing some sort of um, naughtiness. Um, but maybe the proportion of everyone's response is out of whack with uh, the harm that she's sort of doing. Does that, I mean, would you say that that's true? That's, 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 yeah, I think that's a fair characterization of how I feel. I, uh, I was very disturbed by it. It was very weird to me. Uh, you know, like McKibben's like, I take her at her word that it was like hurtful to her that um, Alia Tool did this and sort of like, reappropriate her trauma etc and you know I, I i guess i can sort of understand why that might feel fucked up i don't personally um you know i've had people take lines from me that are very important granted it's within my like small community and these are people i kind of am acquainted with personally but even like really gnarly lines that touch on really difficult things in my life like the idea of other people using them within their own work is exciting to me but uh just because i feel that way doesn't mean that everyone feels that way and i think that i have like a somewhat like radical view about all this shit in terms of like i think everything should be available to everyone to use in any which way um so all that said though like i kind of can get uh I, I get mckibben's reaction like she feels fucked up uh she has this platform that she can use twitter to like blast it all out there but but what was weird to me was like the kind of community reaction like all these people i don't know they're just saying really like intense things about how terrible a person alio tool was they're like berating like a tattoo that she got that's one of these lines that she sort of appropriated from mckibbins they're just like sort of insulting her person her her physical appearance like all these different things 
And it just seemed like uh, even if like you have the most harsh view of what she did, there's just a lot kind of going into it that didn't feel relevant to that. You know what I mean? Like someone like having a stupid tattoo or like being a jerk, like that, that may be how you feel, but that really isn't to do that much with like plagiarism as a, as a, as a, as a wrong thing to do. So, so I don't know. I, I just felt really kind of freaked out by it. And to me, like my, my like take, I guess I have a couple takes, but one of them is that like, it's just this tech thing, you know, like we have these platforms that like juice this kind of behavior. Uh, it's, it's easy to get kind of gratification. Um, people are more likely to click on things that piss them off and make them feel fucked up. And, and it was just like a snowball effect of that where like you have a thing that like the optics of it are upsetting to poets because poets feel like unappreciated. So then like this is just like a really sort of clear narrative of like someone trying to like get over on another poet. And, and then it just kind of unlocks all these like negative feelings within people. And then they're just sort of like let loose on the social space. And it it's it sucks. Yeah, um, you've talked a little bit about how there's a power imbalance in some of these accusations and and then just a moment ago about how, you know, poets generally probably feel underappreciated or like they maybe don't have a very big place in the culture. You know, a lot of them probably are struggling financially if they're trying to, you know, have poetry be a big part of how they spend their working life. Um, so I wonder if, you know, how all of those things inflect this conversation um, where from one view that we sort of talked about the the sort of harm of lifting lines from a much more prominent poet um, is maybe not that significant from a sort of traditional economic standpoint, I guess. Like, I don't think anyone's buying an Alio tool book and then saying, oh, well, I don't need to buy a Rachel McKibben's right, book. Right. Um, there's, there's really no penalty there. But um, as you've said, the reaction to all of this seems to be, I don't know, maybe it sounds a little harsh to say, but more based around ego. Um, this idea that like, look, if anyone should be getting attention for these these words, this language, it should be me. Um, and like, how dare someone else get some of that attention? Um, I mean, it, it, do you think that's representative of your view? Or what do you think is sort of going on here psychologically, not only with, you know, these original people accusing someone of plagiarism, but then with this sort of uh, wellspring of uh, community reaction. Yeah, no, you, you raise a bunch of interesting points that I haven't thought about entirely. But um, yeah, the ego idea is an interesting one. Um, I feel like ego is definitely a big piece of like what's going on. It, it's like, and I'm just speaking kind of, not even about this specific situation, all that I'll try and get back to it. Just kind of my general sense of like kind of poetry world, the world of poets, uh, how poets feel about their place in it and whatnot. And, and there's this feeling that I have that poets, um, they just are like, they're just walking around with ego damage, you know, like they're just like having a damaged ego is like part of being a poet. It's sort of like, it's this weird thing where like, nobody gives a shit about what you do. Poets often like complain about how their family, their relatives, stuff like that, like don't get it or don't care or whatever. Um, it's not valued by the larger 
culture. Um, the only way to make money is basically through like these institutions of academia, etc. So like, if you're trying to get like external validation through poetry, it's going to be a tough road for you. Like, it's just straight up like a really difficult path. And weirdly, like a lot of poets seem to walk that path. Like, I don't really understand why you would sort of subject yourself to this like kind of endless desire to have your work validated by a culture that just isn't set up to validate it when like and, and then this is like sort of my vision of like an alternative like when instead you can just like cultivate you know a small but meaningful community of peers and loved ones etc who like value you as a person and value your work and, and then you can kind of have that sort of like as like the armor that protects like your artistic self or something like that. And, and I'm way more into that as like a, a, a way to go about it than like trying to achieve these kind of like external validations of success that like the poetry world offers, which, you know, like not all of them are insignificant. There are prizes where you can win money and all this stuff, but like um, a lot of them are insignificant and like empty, like empty in terms of like, feeling like a person and stuff like that it's just like oh i have this abstract sort of uh you know marker of success in the form of some prize that literally no one on earth cares about <laughs> so so like that's sort of like how i see it and it's and it's weird but then you have this layer that you bring up this like attention thing where like oh yeah like i should be getting attention for the lines that I write, etc., um, that makes me think about again this tech part of it, where it's like, you know, in the last ten years, like all of a sudden, like getting attention for things has become this sort of like marketplace in and of itself, and like people are vying with each other for attention, and people are figuring out ways to get the most attention for shit. So, so like, that's sort of like the funny kind of. I don't know what quite the right word is, but it's funny that like, um, say in like your premise that like, Hey, no one should get be getting attention for my lines except for me that like saying that is the, is the thing that garners the most attention of all. You know what I mean? Like more people have engaged with this like Twitter screed against Alio tool. Um, then that most of them have engaged meaningfully with, you know, Rachel McKibben's is poetry, which isn't to say she doesn't have like an audience and a constituency. I, I think she does. It's just like that blew up in this huge way that like a poem just like just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, I wonder if in some ways, you know, obviously the attention economy, if we want to call that has some pretty big benefits for the tech platforms where these conversations are having, you know, more attention means more people viewing ads means revenue for these companies. Um, but on the other side, I think there is some sort of kind of, you know, uh, reasonable relationship between an artist and attention in that, you know, you're doing this thing, it's not quite like, you know, growing crops or building houses, you know, what is the benefit of this stuff that I'm doing? And if no one likes it, well, then maybe it's, you know, nil. But if people are paying attention to the work, you know, which is to some extent overlapping with me, then I feel like, okay, I can continue to do this. It's something I like to do, but it's something that may have a benefit to society. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose I can see in some ways where it gets 
complicated really fast when you're saying, okay, if people are paying attention to this work that I feel like I had a hand in creating, if not that is, you know, wholesale mine, and now it's, it is getting paid attention to, so it clearly has value to someone, but um, there's this weird avenue where people are paying attention to it now, maybe in someone else's work. Um, so yeah, I mean, it gets confusing as far as, uh, you know, who who receives the benefit of that attention, who, who needs it, you know, why do we want it? I think those are all interesting questions, but I do want to focus a little bit more specifically on um, the controversy between Claudia Cortesi and Lisa Lowe, because I think this was a lot less clear cut in terms of whether or not plagiarism had actually occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, certainly don't think that uh, this is plagiarism, um, certainly not in the same way that Alio Tool lifting lines more or less unedited from, um, you know, Rachel McKibben's work is. Is that right? Yeah, I, I definitely uh, do not think, I mean, Lisa Lowe did not plagiarize. That is how <laughs> I feel. Um, her, she's not at all comparable to Alio Tool. So I guess maybe then it's, uh, it's appropriate to ask what constitutes plagiarism because hmm. I think for people who have looked at the, the poems, specifically I think Cortese has a better case with the first two poems that she brings up in her her google doc um the stuff that kind of appears later on it's um you know maybe i'm biased from having seen a lot of my exposure to this just through you but it seems kind of laughable like these these poems later in the document don't have that much of a resemblance to each other um and then the first two it's like okay i can see where you would identify an influence certainly you know whether or not it's called plagiarism is um, what we'll end up talking about here, I, I hope, for a while. Um, but uh, these first two poems, you know, there's there's definitely similarities. I think anyone would agree with that, right? Absolutely. Um, and specifically, the, the, the sort of question that is the crux of whether or not these similarities constitute plagiarism, I think has to do with, uh, you know, what plagiarism is specifically. Like, is it uh, more about syntax and structure about specific words and language or is it about um the affect or the themes and meanings that this language has would you say that that's kind of a the difference of opinion that you have between um between maybe some of the people who are uh adamant that this is plagiarism yeah um yeah it's hard for me to sort of conceptualize the difference between what I think and what someone who thinks this is plagiarism thing, because like it is as though someone is telling me like the sky is green, like this, uh, my relationship with poetry, um, and my understanding of like how poetry works, which is it like, is this sort of like ongoing discourse with itself where poets are expected to respond to other poets in all kinds of ways, including like, um, using one another's lines, using one another's themes, using one another's ideas to, you know, enter into their own sort of poetic explorations. Uh, Like, that is what poetry is to me. So these kind of questions about syntax and stuff, like how much syntax borrowing is too much syntax borrowing, it it just doesn't feel like a, 
like a relevant conversation. Like, like it feels like such a, like if I, you know, if I were to rank the concerns of poetry, like things that we ought to be concerned about as poets, like I would put, you know, is this like too much syntax similarity? That question, like one billionth on the list. <laughs> like, I, so, so I don't know. I mean, like, I don't want to come off like I'm completely without sympathy to uh, this perspective because I, I do think that a big part of it is is this kind of alio tool like background noise because because basically like you have this instance of like someone writing lines that then kind of like cheaply you know paste in like excuse me that cheaply paste in like sort of synonyms or similar ideas or whatever and, and there's really no change um, so, so then people are like pissed about that which. You know, I have weird feelings about being pissed about that, but whatever. Um, it seems fair to say that, you know, some amount of minor backlash would be warranted. Or, indeed, or indeed. maybe just even, uh, you know, saying, hey, you know, it makes me uncomfortable that you're using my work in this way. Could you stop? Sure. And like, you know, I, I think we had a brief exchange about this where I was sort of saying like, you know, if it was more like funny, like sort of clowning on Alio Tool for like being such a rube and like <laughs> trying to pass off these like blatant, forgeries as her own like you know that would be like funny to me like i could get down with that but this sort of vitriolic response was odd but but at any rate like you have this sort of context where this thing happened and people felt very strongly about it then like a similar context emerges where um you can kind of look at it you can sort of scan it and think like oh these there's probably something to be said about plagiarism here and that's honestly how i felt initially like you know, my, my office mate showed me these poems. He asked me to read both of them out loud. Um, I did. I, I didn't think it was plagiarism, but, like, you know, I thought that because of the way it was presented, there must have been sort of more to the case, basically. And and then I was like, well, you know, this is weird plagiarism controversy. It seems sort of derivative of the O'Toole controversy. But, like, there's probably something here. Then the more I looked into it, the more it seemed to me that there wasn't something there, that it wasn't plagiarism. And I feel like there's this thing that was happening where people just kind of like were reenacting this sort of same, uh, you know, social dance that they were doing with Alio Tool. It's just like, oh, yeah, like I can sort of look at this poem and sort of like perceive it the same way I perceive this other situation and then just like act as I did previously because that was such a like there's this weird togetherness with this kind of thing too where people like come together uh you know like over like hating alio tool so like oh i'm gonna reenact that togetherness over this like new situation that like at first glance like seems like it could be somewhat similar yeah that's interesting i mean we talked earlier about how you know, in some ways, there might be two different ways to view this whole situation where one is um, I'm an individual poet and um, I'm going to do a certain amount of work and then hopefully be compensated for that in some way, whether that's monetary or in terms of appreciation or something like that. Um, and then there's another approach, which is I'm going I'm to be a poet as part of a poetry community and hopefully together we can achieve something. Um, and th this latter situation, you know, you're maybe less concerned with plagiarism because you understand yourselves to be working on a common project. Um, so much like you might in a work environment where, you know, you're all taking pieces of a job and splitting it up, um, you might see the sharing of lines or certain language or bits of syntax as, you know, the, uh, the normal 
part of people working together on a project. Um, so in light of that, it's interesting how you're sort of characterizing the response to this alleged plagiarism as this uh, way of people coming together, you know, mm -hmm. um, if we take seriously this sort of argument that we're outlining about there being tensions between the community and the individual within poetry and within any sort of artistic endeavor. Um, it's sort of interesting, I guess, if you wanted to be cynical, you could say that, oh, these people are so deprived of community <laughs> in their art world that the only right. way that they can find it is by um, coming together to sort of like shit on this person. Um, I don't know that I have anything necessarily to ask about that, but in some ways that's my read on it. Um, but on the other hand, I do, I think I am more sympathetic, maybe not to the charge that this is plagiarism, but that um, in some way, Lisa Lowe does seem to be indebted to Claudia Cortez. Like the, the work of producing uh, Lisa Lowe's poems is, is made easier in some ways by the fact that mm. Claudia's poems already existed. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's an interesting idea to me that, you know, um, now you owe, you owe this other person something. Um, and I think the question that is more interesting than, oh, you know, is this plagiarism? Should she have to stop entirely? Is like, what's, what does that indebtedness sort of um, obligate you to do? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's an, in that's an interesting way of framing it. And I hadn't thought of it in exactly that way. Because, um, yeah, I mean, she is indebted to her in a way. And, and she acknowledges that to some extent. Like, she... I, I mean, it, again, it's it's been talked about, but for the 10 listeners who maybe don't know about poetry, uh, it, it is common in poetry world for someone to write a poem after another poet. And that is a way for the poet to acknowledge their indebtedness to this other poet who whom inspired them in some such way, be it a, a, a line, be it a, a theme, be it who knows. Um, so... So yeah, I mean, she did do that, but then there's this question of like, uh, yeah, this idea of indebtedness and like what 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 should uh, that require of someone? It's an interesting thing to contemplate. Because I, I, maybe in your poetry community, where I assume you're sort of interacting with a lot of your fellow poets and community members um, in more direct, uh, friendly ways, you know, in friendships, debt works a lot differently than it does in society at large, right? Like if someone mm -hmm. buys mm -hmm. me dinner tonight, I might buy them a drink next week. I might, um, you know, just have warm feelings in my heart for them and then be really nice to them for, you know, like these are all acceptable sure. ways to repay what l might loosely be called a debt. Whereas if I borrow money from the bank, um, there's a pretty narrow uh, set of ways <laughs> for me to pay them back, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and these... Uh, so in, in a poetry community where you're meeting and interacting face to face or even just in a more direct way with your fellow poets, um, questions of debt might not be legislated in any very strict way. But when you're just reading someone's work, presumably over the Internet, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it doesn't seem like Claudia Cortez and Lisa Lowe have had any kind of relationship beyond that. Um, mm -hmm. maybe it does feel a little different to see your, to see, to see a, 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 a debt or a credit on your account where you're like, I don't wait, this person just borrowed my <laughs> stuff. But I don't know them. Like how, I don't know what, what, what do you think is a way for us to navigate that as people yeah. creating things online? 
you know, where we can't just, you know, give someone a hug, make them cookies, buy them a beer. <laughs> how, how do you show your appreciation? Yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a good question. And uh, what, part of what you said reminded me of this like anecdote just from earlier in the week. My, my girlfriend was talking about uh, how a coworker of her like uh, often like takes her cigarettes and, and then like she takes less of her coworker's cigarettes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I told her that when I lived with this friend of mine, Neil, like I just viewed his cigarettes as my cigarettes and I could take them whenever I wanted because I knew that he could take my cigarettes whenever he wanted. So there wasn't even like this idea of possession uh, between us. And I think that's kind of like a kind of a a factor of this sort of more like friendly or social community that you're describing is that like, you know, we we try to do right by each other and there has to be like some sort of exchange or equitability. Otherwise, you know, bad feelings start to brew. But um, if there's kind of the baseline of like, yeah, you got my back, I got yours that's met, then like there's an incredible amount of latitude that we allow each other. So so then this question of like, how do you um, how do you approach uh, borrowing creatively from people that you don't have any way of like, loving them really and and yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting question just generally and within poetry specifically i don't know i have some ideas about poetry and then maybe i'll be able to zoom out a bit but like so i mean i think there's a a a million different ways to do it and and like i'll you know like a, a twitter that i like is like at Sherry Sherry 69 fuckers books. Uh, she's an artist from Los Angeles. Her name is Jesse Spears. And, you know, I like her tweets. Uh, I've enjoyed her tweets for a long time. I think her art's cool. I like the way she approaches doing shit online. I'm a fan. Right. So I've written poems that, uh, that like quote her where I'm just like at Sherry Sherry 69 tweeted like X, Y, Z or something like that. And because I'm such a like huge fan of her as an artist and as a human, I feel compelled to like, uh, you know, give that level of kind of like attribution to this like thing that she put out into the world. But there's been other instances where I see some like random tweet by someone who I don't like really care about. And I think it's like kind of an interesting formulation. And then I'll just like tweak it slightly and it'll like find its way into something that I've written. And I don't give them any attribution because I don't feel like particularly compelled to like, you know, like it doesn't really matter to me if people understand that I like interacted with with this other person because it it's sort of incidental in my mind. Like it's just like, oh, this is another being that I interacted with. But really, like I just kind of arrived at something that I identify with through them. But like them being the one isn't like super essential to that happening. Like it could have been anyone kind of feeling. And is that like is that fucked up? Like, I I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it is, but I guess you could make a case that it is, but so then, so then you go into like the community side of it and it's like, I, I have no problem with people taking my lines, but a lot of people that, um, are engaged with my poems and ideas and shit, they're people that I like have personal relationships with. And even people on the internet, like the internet is interesting in that we can form like meaningful durable bonds with people through these platforms and whatnot so even people that like i don't really know but i sort of like know through th- this weird you know medium of the internet like 
they all can do whatever the fuck I want, but whatever the fuck they want with my creative ideas, like that's cool with me. But like if some, if some like, and you kind of raised this example, like with the Drake dram thing, like if some like, uh, if some hot shot or something, uh, all of a sudden like is writing poems that are like hugely rip off of mine. Uh, do I like become pissed? Do I feel like fucked over? And, and I guess I would. Um, so, so then like how to sort of, the, the thing that I struggle with with this particular situation is like, it, it doesn't seem like that you can feel as though like Lisa Lowe like ripped anyone off. It, it just doesn't seem like that's a particularly fair perspective. Um, because like the, the other point with like indebtedness as it relates to all this is like, I mean, Cortese talks also about being indebted, you know, she, she, she speaks a lot about how indebted she is to other writers, how she, uh, how she sort of read every single book about girlhood out there. Mm -hmm. And then she sort of created her own like original book that isn't, uh, that doesn't borrow. It's totally unique. Yeah. 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 It's funny that she would mention both of those things. Like I read everything, but it didn't influence me at all. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's, it is funny. And it's, and so then, so then like, then, then you get into this like pay it forward concept. Well, like if, if Cortese is indebted to like these authors and then like Lisa Lowe is indebted to Cortese and like the other authors that she speaks about, like then like, is it, is, is everyone kind of made whole by like someone else that's out there in this sort of universe of this thing? Like, yeah, maybe like you're not going to have an exact equal exchange with like with Lisa Lowe or whoever, but like you will have uh, an unequal exchange that's like to your benefit with some other poet, maybe that you don't like know. And, and that's that question of influence. That's like, cause like a, a point that I made about her sort of list of, of like uh, reasons that this is plagiarism is that like, she pointed out the fact that Lisa Lowe was writing about like white supremacy and Claudia Cortese is also writing about white supremacy. And, and a lot of people pointed out that, you know, Lisa Lowe isn't white. So like naturally <laughs> she has a different sort of perspective on that. Yeah. But like my point with it was like, you know, I've written about white supremacy, but like I was only able to access thoughts about those ideas through, you know, through thinkers who aren't, you know, white people, like who are outside of me because like, you know, like not that I didn't understand racism existed, but the sort of like nuances of it were very opaque to me until I started reading like Malcolm X and like stuff in college and all sorts of shit. And, and so then for like, so, so then for Cortese to claim that her project is like original, but also that it, that it deals with like the subject of white supremacy. Like, you know, I think there's an argument to be made that it's like impossible for, uh, uh, like a white person to come up with like an original thought about that subject. And, and, and then a, it's a bigger argument can be made that it's like impossible for anyone to come up with any kind of original thought about any subject because like we're naturally like indebted to one another as people, as humans. Like that's what language is. Like it's just sort of like this constant sort of like doing what it's this constant mimicry that sort of creates a meaning or something like that. And, I, and I'm kind of talking out my ass with that because I'm not a, a linguist. But, uh... <laughs> I think it's something that you talked about online too is that there's a, a really ripe irony in Claudia Cortese um, 
making accusations of plagiarism, specifically as it re re relates to um, themes of white supremacy, when she's a white person and the person she's accusing of plagiarizing these themes about white supremacy isn't. Um, certainly, you would think that Lisa Lowe, as an Asian woman, like has more to say about white supremacy than Claudia Cortese. So, like any any indebtedness she has in that regard is probably dwarfed by um, the the original content that she brings to any sort of material, even if she's repeating it word for word, just on the basis of um, her having a you know real experience and authenticity behind. Um, discussions about white supremacy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that piece of it is definitely the kind of weirdest piece of it. Like, it's it's kind of outrageous that, like, it it's an outrageous claim to make. And you know, I I want to, I don't want to like, I was I, in my in my sort of online ranting about. It, I was highly critical of Claudia Cortese and. and and I, I want to recognize that, like, this book that she wrote is, like, is something to do with very challenging matters for her. And I can get why one would feel, like, uh, f fucked up about feeling like you're being kind of taken from or something when it comes to shit like that. Like, I do I do get that. But but the even within that sort of context, I, I think it's really uh, outrageous that, that you could possibly uh, think that someone uh, taking talking about themes of white supremacy who isn't white is like taking that idea from you. And, and then further, like that you could uh, think that it's like legitimate to express that point of view. You know what I mean? Like, and, and then that's like the weirdest part of all is that like the poetry community, like more or less kind of like, they didn't really dispute that. Yeah. They that accepted charge, it. You know I mean? They didn't like say, Oh yeah. Like, Lisa Lowe plagiarized Claudia Cortese's exploration of white supremacy, but they didn't dispute that part of it. I mean, some people did, but, and that's just weird. Cause like, we're supposedly living at a time where there's like greater awareness about these sort of matters yet. Like, uh, each piece of it sort of requires like a very, um, you know, like backwards kind of view of these matters. And, and, and like, yet it's still built up into what it was. And that's just like, I don't know, just shocking and strange to me and kind of sad. Yeah. I mean, in other, in other, uh, media, you know, the, the portraitist who did president Obama's white house portrait, I think is famous for basically recasting classic, um, paintings with black people in them. Mm -hmm. And I think there's relatively little controversy over whether this is, um, you know, plagiaristic in any way, it, it seems clear to most people that the simple act of changing the racial identity of this, the subject of a work um, transforms the work in like pretty significant ways. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a little interesting that, you know, there wasn't much sympathy, you know, in the, in the majority of this conversation for Lisa Loeb based on a similar argument. Um, you kind of mentioned like painting, and it's something I've thought about a lot in this conversation, but I haven't, I think I've expressed some of these views, but I haven't put it out there as much as like, you know, like what does this conversation look like when it's like transposed into like another art form? You, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And, and like, I like paintings and I know that a lot of artists that I admire are just doing 
the same painting as other artists that came before them. Like it's very common, you know, there's like, uh, you know, like Judith beheading like Holofernes or whatever. Like there's countless, uh, portrayals of that image, uh, you know, throughout like classical art and whatnot. And in, in ways they're all like indebted to one another. And that's like an acceptable thing within the art context or, or like your point about kind of the, the racial stuff with that por portrait of Obama and that, that artist's style. Like I also think of a, a Basquiat documentary that I watched where it sort of just showed uh, Basquiat pieces like next to largely Picasso pieces, but it might've been other artists. And, you know, you could tell how like uh, these were formal, like copies basically. Like it's, it's a very, they're very similar formally yet. Like, uh, you know, Jean-Michel Basquiat has a completely different, perspective on the world than Pablo Picasso did so his paintings are completely different even though they're also like kind of the same and yeah. then like I know that you are like a a cinema lover as am I <laughs> and you know like I watched that movie Roma recently and like a lot of these moments in Roma I I, I can directly connect to like you know like certain Jean-Luc Godard films or like other things and it's just like and, and then even like uh, my friend Simon Kim, like he really likes to point out how there's the part in the Godfather two, the sort of the part with Robert De Niro, where like there's a cop at the door and this other guy like points a gun at the door and how that's like a direct visual allusion to some like old ass movie that I've mm -hmm. never seen. And how like this sort of like not not just like reinterpreting, but just straight up like take like just taking is very common in other art forms and, and is like accepted and celebrated to some extent. I mean, there are people who like talk about like Tarantino say as like a problematic actor in this regard sometimes, but like largely what he does is viewed as legitimate. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, like I'm just kind of wondering like, and, and like that's sort of where I'm coming from too, is that like in my vision of poetry, like, like poetry was always in that, in that vein. Like that was always my kind of understanding of it like it was just like those other kind of art forms where that sort of thing was expected and encouraged um I, what, what 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 do you make of all this kind of this this question of like other art forms and how, how it kind of relates to this situation we're talking about yeah i think that's a really interesting topic of conversation because even within the literary world you know you have something like ulysses which is celebrated as like a great work usually and everyone sort of agrees that like part of what makes it interesting is that it's a retelling of the Odyssey. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe that ties in a little bit with one, I don't know if it's a counterpoint, but one sort of complicating factor that I thought of when I was thinking a little bit about how painters, you know, borrow from each other quite a bit is that um, to a certain extent, what people are interested in, I think with art, and maybe this is not the right thing to be interested in is um, a sort of like display of technical ability. So if I look at a painting and decide I'm going to do like a riff on the same thing, it might even be pretty similar. Hell, I might even reproduce the other painting. Um, you know, there is like a certain cultural fascination, even with, just, with like people who forge paintings, because you still yeah, have yeah. to perform the sort of technical mastery of doing all of these mm -hmm. delicate brush strokes and stuff like sure. that. Um, or, you know, in the case of like Ulysses and the Odyssey, you know, obviously Joyce's rendering this story that we're all familiar with in a language that, you know, depending on how seriously you take them, displays like a, a, a certain amount of technical 
mastery or um, there's like flourishes, all these flourishes, you know, his style of writing is very much about displaying a facility with language. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like Lisa Lowe and Claudia Cortesi, you know, she can copy and paste a line and then maybe change words in ways that change the meaning of mm-hmm. the, the work in a way that two different paintings, you know, of the same event have probably rather similar meanings for the most part but that's not what people are interested in people don't care that your your painting means the same thing because the way that we engage with painting is looking at it and saying oh well how talented you are um and then in some ways i am sympathetic to that you know like as a writer i'm sort of interested in these uh masturbatory displays of um (laughs) proficiency you know we're like oh you know look how many semicolons and um you know how i inverted syntax in in a interesting way that i've obviously read like a book about grammar i'm so you know please love me i'm so smart um (laughs) but but that's a that's one way to interact with literature right and and I think you 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 have on Twitter made a strong argument that the important well maybe not the important thing but a, a significant factor of Lisa Lowe's poems is what they're talking about and what they mean, and even if she borrows some of the same structures, um, she's writing about a different kind of loneliness or isolation than Cortesi is. Um, so yeah, I think that's an interesting. That's an interesting way to compare these different art forms or just different instances of um, repetition where sometimes it's about, you know, putting your spin on something formally. And I think it's very easy to recognize those differences. Um, uh-huh. But I think it, it can also be about displaying um, different meanings, different meanings that don't occur on the formal level. You know, I guess it may be an interesting quote to talk about in this regard is uh, Kenneth Goldsmith, who, you know, now everyone, I think, is over and does not like very much. But um, this is the guy who would just, like, you know, copy the words of a newspaper or a traffic report and then call it a poem. And I find it kind of interesting. Um, and then, of course, he got himself into big trouble, I think, by, like, reading Mike Brown's autopsy report and calling it a poem. And people said, well, you you don't get to do that. You're a white guy. Um, which if, if we take those sort of allegations of misbehavior seriously, then I think if anything, it should be a credit to someone like Lisa Lowe, where even if she repeats the same things words for word without changing anything, like does her identity as an Asian woman change the meaning of those words? Um, I, these are all really interesting questions to me. Uh, but of course, Lisa Lowe is operating, you know, the way that she's sort of talking about her work or, um, in subtle ways, sort of encouraging you to interact with it is really different than Kenneth Goldsmith, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In some ways, it would be interesting. I, I think, you know, even in the wake of all these plagiarism controversies, even if we assume that they're going to kind of have legs and, and change the way that the community operates, I think someone could probably still get away with a lot of what someone would call plagiarism as long as they were sort of cheeky about it and saying like oh i'm doing some sort of like meta textual thing where uh copying is the point so it's just sort of interesting to me that we're willing to tolerate that when someone's you know kind of um incorporating it into their identity as an author but unless they do that then it's just like oh how dare how dare you borrow from anyone else at all um which maybe goes back to this idea of artists 
both conceiving of themselves as like important members of the community or their work having some sort of benefit to their own egos. But then also that seems to be how communities of artists and just the culture at large wants to think about them as these people who have some sort of angle or some sort of shtick. And like, mm-hmm. if that, if that shtick incorporates plagiarism, then, oh, maybe that's cool. Maybe that's interesting. But, yeah, and, yeah. but if your shtick is about something else, then like, that's what, that's what we want from you. I don't know. No, nah, that's, no, nah, that stuff's really fascinating. Cause like your point about Goldsmith or that sort of vein of like the, 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 I don't know, like the provocateur, the enfant terrible or whatever, like the prankster, the person that like flaunts, like whatever, yeah. like that is uh, an interesting kind of like the, your point about sort of talent being this like, or technical skill or whatever, mm-hmm. being this thing that people value, th- that's like an interesting kind of I- inversion. Cause the, the, the person who, who just sort of wantonly takes it, it is like a, uh, challenging like what people say is important in a very yeah. direct way and that's perhaps like uh more exciting or cool or whatever than just kind of like being in this gray area or you could even say that like uh that like low or or tool like they would they would say that like outright stealing is bad like let's say so they sort of like subscribe to like this sort of talent model um and then that's sort of like to their own ruin or some yeah. shit and funnily enough like when i was reading the o'toole stuff in my mind i was like yeah she should have just like taken the lines like i don't know why she <laughs> did all this like nonsense like insertion bullshit like she should like if if her poetic project was like copying rachel mckibben's poems like that would have been like uh more interesting like that's like i mean it wouldn't have been cool but it would have been like strange at least yeah um yeah, no. I, I, the the tech the technicality the technical mastery point is is an interesting one, and and as it sort of differs in different art forms, and this idea that like the forger is admired because like indeed like what they're doing requires just as much skill as like the original painter or or whatever. Although I guess you could argue not as much vision. Yeah. Um. I, I think I thought about while you were talking about the the Soderbergh remake of uh, Psycho by Albert Hitch, Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> and uh that was such an interesting moment because like this whole there's this point in cinema where it's like very in vogue to like sort of you, you know like remix uh stuff from the past or whatever and then he took it to this like uh you know extreme kind of like you know goldsmith level or whatever and and it was like fairly maligned at the time although now that project has like something of a cult following and now like Soderbergh has this like underground cred because he'll like re-edit movies or like he put like Indiana Jones in black and white with like a different hmm. soundtrack or some shit so he's like doing these kind of like mm, takings that are like they put like they they have like more of that kind of s- s- smirk to them mm-hmm. than like just straight up like I'm gonna do a shot for shot remake of Psycho and and, hmm. and and yeah, I don't know, I'm kind of fascinated by this question of like, like what your what your kind of tone is versus like how much technical mastery you're displaying, uh, versus like how original your idea is, and how these these kind of factors like interact in very uh, combustible ways. Because it seems like very possible that say like Lowe's poems were um, more like. Uh, 
like her, her, her exploration of Asian American identity is fairly subtle. And some of it's like fairly, you know, you can, you can see it, but in my sort of conversations, a lot of uh, people that were like DMing me and shit were Asian women. And they're pointing out these like very mm. kind of subtle cultural references that like relate to Asian American identity in ways that like I hadn't even come close to understanding. But if like uh, Lisa Lowe's Poetic Project had instead been like very like in your face, like yeah. this is about racism using like uh, the language of, uh, y- y- you know, like ethnic bias towards Asian people, etc. then like would her, would the attack on her have been as salient? Um, Almost certainly not, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but that's like, that's like a bummer because like, it's like discourages then, nuance or well, it, it, well, it cuts against that sort of that technical mastery idea where yeah. it's like she's doing this like very subtle, sophisticated work as a language practitioner. Yet, like it's sort of um, it's sort of hidden by the like, like she's able to use these forms and do like really subtle, sophisticated work simultaneously. But the fact that she's using the form obscures like the technical mastery that she's able to employ and. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of weird pieces to think about. But no, I, I, I like the points you bring up. I think something else that comes to mind is, um, you know, if we have these two different models of artistic achievement and one of them is artistic or uh, technical sort of mastery and the other is sort of like having a message or a meaning that's important. It's interesting to me that Cortez's charges against um, Lisa Lowe are... I think at their strongest when they're pointing out the similarities in language. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, what she sort of seems to suggest is the most harmful thing about the plagiarism. If you know, you take it seriously uh, is that it's like feeding off her trauma Mm-hmm. Where if like the model that you're ascribing to is that, well, the language is what is essential about this work. So borrowing, you know, words and syntaxes that I used is how we identify that it's plagiarism. Then to go on the other hand and say that like, oh, also what's essential about the work is that it reflects my trauma. I don't know if you necessarily get to have it both ways. Um, because if the trauma is what is essential to you, then someone else having a different trauma and using similar language is expressing a different trauma. But if mm. ha- having the same language is what ultimately damns someone else, um, then I don't know if you get to talk about the, the motivations behind your crafting that language in the first place as being so essential. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I view it as like, a, and again, I don't want to be too cynical, but I feel like there's kind of like a bait and switch element where it's like, Mm. you know check out the the color-coded document like, yeah this is clearly plagiarism yeah right everyone yeah yeah like this person has taken from me like you know the most important shit in my yeah. inner being or whatever and, and like you're right to point out that it doesn't really follow and it's sort of i don't know it's definitely off um was there was there other stuff you wanted to circle back to yeah, yeah. The other thing I wanted to kind of bring up, you you were talking about like this sort of like um, this idea of like artists and like attention and how artists kind of like interface with attention on these like platforms and stuff like that. And and I was kind of curious about what you're saying because I feel like I was kind of um, painting like a dim picture of these platforms and how they kind of like weaponize attention or something mm-hmm. like that. 
But like the the nuance you brought to it was very interesting to me because like it's sort of like what your point earlier, like without these platforms, the grievances can be made, but also without these platforms, like they couldn't spiral out of control. And it's something I think about a lot as a creative person who uses these platforms in ways that sometimes feel good and sometimes feel bad. It is like, I have, uh, you know, derived so much benefit from like being able to get attention from people using Twitter or Tumblr or Facebook or whatever. And like, uh, you know, like both in my immediate life in terms of like how people view me as like a social actor, like my joke has always been like, I was on message boards and shit at age, (laughs) like, you know, 13 in the early two thousands, like going off, like arguing about like fucking lyrics on like a basketball <laughs> subform or some shit and and then like in like 2007 or 2009 or i don't know exactly when it was but it's like suddenly the entire world became a giant mm. message board and then i was able to just like use these like skills that i'd fucking <laughs> crafted to my advantage and it and it's and, and it, you know like that isn't always great but like you know, like we're having this conversation, you and I, and I like enjoy this conversation. I think it's pretty cool experience. And like, but we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for like, oh yeah, 17,000, you know, like, you know, not seven, there's a lot of like uh platform mediation between you and mm-hmm. I that, uh, that contributes to our ability to talk to one another. And that's because like, you know, we've interacted on Tumblr, we've interacted on Twitter. I've listened to your podcast, like on and on and on and on. And I don't know. Like it, it's this, it's this weird thing where like, how, how do you, uh, wield this kind of, how do you use this like stuff? Like, how do you use these tools effectively? Like what's your approach? And, and I feel like that's like a, a, a question that's like missing from the conversation. And like, and then like, that's the, I mean, I was kind of being glib when I kept saying it, but like, there's all these people like kind of wagging their finger being like, didn't you learn about plagiarism in school? <laughs> like, and my point is just like, didn't you learn about like being nice in school? Like, <laughs> Like, are, is that all we're using, like, this platform for is yeah. to, like, you Police. know, like, gotcha yeah. people from mm-hmm. being, like, plagiarists? Or are we using this to, like, be cool to each other? And and it's this weird, it's this weird thing because, like, you can benefit so much from having, like, a certain number of followers, a certain amount of attention, like... You know, like when I when I I did a, like a poetry tour once, and I feel like a big reason I was able to like cold call so many people is because like I had a decently big Twitter following at the time, and mm-hmm. that was like meaningful to people or some shit. But like, and and I got a lot of like positive experience out of that. But at the same time, I was like locked into Twitter twenty four hours a day, like yeah. feeling weird all the time and shit like that, and. And I don't know, like, that's, like, that's, like, the undergirding kind of thing of all of this that, like, I feel isn't, that I, I haven't even talked about that much, is it's, like, this question of, like, how do we want to use these things to interact with people? And, and like, part of it might be, like, we don't have a ton of power, like, because I have said that, like, they juice this kind of, like, fuck you attitude. Like, people are more likely to click on stuff that makes them feel bad than feel good or whatever. But, like nonetheless i do feel like it's within our capacity to like do cool shit with these like ways of like interacting with one another and like my point about o'toole like if if it had been like more like funny like if people had just like made like 
goofy memes about how she's a bozo. Like that would have been like an interesting moment in poetry to me. But instead, it's about how she's like a fucking horrible person, and I'm glad her career is ruined. Yeah, which just sucks. doesn't really give anything to anyone, I don't think. I mean, arguably, there's some psychological reason why we hate Click or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I think almost everyone who's involved in that behavior, myself included, is just like, oh yeah, I do that. I don't like it. I don't. I'd yeah. like to be doing less of it. Indeed. And yeah, I'd much rather be laughing. Yeah, and well, even with this like Lisa Lowe thing, which I feel strongly about. Yeah, I feel mixed about my own sort of digital interaction with it. Because, like, you know, like, I feel like I was making salient points and I wasn't being dishonest or fucked up exactly. But, like, do I really want to spend my day, like, critiquing the claims of a woman who feels shitty about how someone else used her poem? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like, I feel like it wasn't, the best thing I could have done. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. the worst thing I could have done, but like, how, how do you figure that out? And that's been like something I've been thinking about, you know, in these kind of subsequent days since it's, since it's died down, because your point about how like nothing comes from it, it's kind of true. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I spent hours sort of riffing about this shit and like, you know, constructing these critiques and making these thoughts and doing all this shit. And, and, you know, like I'm talking to you about it. Like I've had conversations with people about it, but like, you know, Lisa Lowe is still like somewhat canceled in the way that mm-hmm. she was like Claudia Cortez, Cortese, like is probably still like bothered by all this thing that unfold. Like, and then like me and the people that I've interacted with, like all we are is like riled up about some like unfairness that we yeah. saw. And, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know, like, if that's good or bad or, or and that's probably not useful. Like, that kind of, like, binary framework isn't probably the best way of putting it. But, like, because my whole point with it is, like, and, and I feel like it's easy to get kind of pulled away from, like, your essential feeling by, like, attacking or, mm-hmm. you know, like, critiquing or whatever. Because it's, like, very easy for me to be, like, and this goes back to attention economy concept. Like it's very easy to me. Like if I call, like I, I, I called Cortese a liar in, in a handful of tweets say like those tweets got more attention. You know what I mean? Like mm. me, you know, like deciding that she was being dishonest, which like, you know, I could, I don't think I was being unreasonable exactly, but it's still kind of unfair in a way like that gets more attention than like, me doing a deep textual analysis of like these yeah. poems or something like that. And, and, and it, and it kind of sucks because like you get, you get pulled away from like, like my whole point with it is just that like, it's cool to take lines from other people and make poems out of them. Like, I think that's awesome. And like, that was the first thing I tweeted about Lisa mm-hmm. Lowe other than like, it's fucked up what's happening to her. Like, like, and I could have just said that and been done with it yet I get kind of like sucked into it mm-hmm. and like it wasn't fun or enjoyable. There's other shit I would have rather been doing with my time. And, and, and then like, yeah, I don't know. Like, like it's almost like impossible to be a good actor and this kind of thing. And then, but then like, that's, that's the other thing is like Lisa Lowe, like is a good actor. You know what I mean? Like all, yeah. all she did was like say, Hey, like here's the correspondence. Like this kind of sucks for me, but I feel bad at the same time I'm done with this project. And I was so like, so impressed with that. And, 
and you know, from the people that reached out to me, I, I, I knew that it was a challenging like thing for the people in her life to like fucking deal with. And it sucked. And I don't know for such a, like that, that was like very inspiring to me that, that you could sort of just like use the platform to like put a truth out there and then just kind of like opt out from the weird discourse. Hmm. And that was cool. But like, that's the big question that all this raises in my mind is like, how do we use these fucking things in a way that's like cool, you know? And I I still feel like very far from an answer to that. In some ways, a lot of what you're saying reminds me a lot of being on message boards. You know, when, when I was like 13 years old, a lot of times, you know, you, you go on there out of some desire to be social or something and maybe you don't necessarily have anything to say so you know you just click into a topic that someone else has made and then um, a lot of times you you know you post your response and realize like oh that person like said what they had for dinner and then like i said what i had for dinner that's not a conversation it's just like (laughs) this sort of like um weird desire to be social online but not not really having the relationship like infrastructure to say anything interesting Mm -hmm. and then yeah yeah, the the kinds of responses in that thread that are gonna themselves generate responses are you know probably more angry or negative or whatever you know it's it's sort of a weird a weird um i guess this still exists on something like twitter but a, a weird artifact of like message board eras was like posting in a thread and feeling like you had added something and then the conversation just like continues on and has nothing to do with your post. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 a good I had sort of forgotten about that feeling, but this whole like emotional like fucking terrain just like rose up within me. Thinking about that where you're just like you have this like thought that like really is important to you that you like put out there and then it just like no one quotes it. No one responds. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, ah, oh, shit. Like I, I'm the one that added to this, but, but I didn't. Like I, like factually, I did not. Yeah. Like what I did didn't matter to anyone, and that's such a weird moment. But yeah, the mess- message boards are like I feel like a rich kind of metaphor, metaphorical ground to talk about these things, and unfortunately, like message board weirdos are a minority of society <laughs> but like the, the other thing i thought about when you're talking with that is like you know you get on the message board to talk about like whatever it is you know like like i i signed up for a basketball message board because i like wanted to post about nba or whatever and and but then like you know six months later i find myself like arguing about like you know who's better like this band or that mm-hmm. band and like calling someone a bozo for <laughs> liking another band or something. And it's like, it's so divorced from why I started mm-hmm. doing it. Like the impulse was like, oh, I just want to like talk about basketball with people. But you're right that this sort of social under underlying that is a, is a deeper social impulse that like cannot truly be satisfied by the message board or or ra- rarely is. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are, there are meaningful exchanges and whatnot and, you know, I can think of a few, you know, moments where I was like, oh, this is really great. But for the most part, it is, yeah, a rarity. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I don't know, it's interesting, this question that you have that we sort of jumped off from about, you know, how we can use these tools or platforms more intentionally, maybe to have the sorts of conversations we want to have. 
And, you know, even the conversation that happened about plagiarism, I think, is an interesting one. You know, here we are talking for an hour about it. Clearly, it, there's something about it that's interesting. But um, it seems in some ways like the platforms that we have are a good place to start a conversation, mm-hmm. but maybe not a good place to finish it. And I don't know, mm. I don't know what to do with that information, but um, maybe that's the little fetus of a thought that can turn into something. Yeah, no, I like I like that thought. That's an that's a good thought. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know if I have much more to say on the matter. Uh, was All there right. anything else you wanted to get to? No, that was my two kind of things I wanted to zip back around to. Cool. Well, this was fun. Uh, thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, yeah. I um, really enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we can probably wrap it up there. <laughs>